I think it was about two years ago that I did an extensive teaching on, on women in leadership where I dealt with the difficult texts in the gospel, especially 1 Timothy chapter 2 uh, and 1 Corinthians 14. So I dealt with those difficult texts in this teaching. It's actually on our website. You can go there if you want to look at it and, and hear it. But in this message, what I wanted to do was um, I wanted to demonstrate that in the gospels, there's a trajectory. Uh, in other words, it points in a particular direction that is unfolded a little bit more within often the teaching epistles, and that trajectory helps us understand where the Spirit of God wants to take us. And, um, and so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at the Gospel of Luke and just Luke's trajectory on women. Before I do that, I want to pull out an Old Testament scripture from Job 42. Job 42, this is a, such an interesting scripture because it's sort of... It, it, are you guys going to stick that up there, by the way? There, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Job 42, 15. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. That's good, isn't it? When you consider that he had a sickness that made him so ugly, nobody wanted to look at him. Something that was ugly produced something that was unbelievably beautiful. Uh, and so he had these three daughters. Uh, and the Bible says this, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Most people read that and miss the significance of that. We're talking before the law. We're talking the oldest book in the Bible. And we're talking about a man who in Job 42 said this. He said, I've heard you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. In other words, Job went through an entire process where he had a revelation about the character of God that significantly transformed his outlook on life. And one of the ways it transformed his outlook, which was contrary to his culture, contrary to his upbringing, contrary to what everyone around him was doing, and even what they would do later under the law of Moses, he gave his daughters, his three daughters, a full inheritance with the seven brothers. So instead of splitting his wealthy inheritance seven ways with the charge on the brothers to look after the girls, he split it ten ways. They got an equal portion with their brothers. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. It's unbelievable. So let's go on to, to the gospel of Luke. I love the way Luke begins his gospel. Because it begins with Zechariah the priest, who's a godly man. He's a devout man. He's a righteous man. That's what we're told about this man. And he goes into the temple to serve God. And while he's there serving in the temple, he's in the holy place. Now, this is a place that's just in front of the Holy of Holies. And right in front of him, there would have been what's called the altar of incense, where you put incense on there and you burn. And over to the right would have been the candelabra, the seven-stick candelabra. And over to the left would have been the table of showbread with the loaves of bread on it. And he's on there, and he's ministering to the Lord. And he's doing this. He's burning the incense before the Lord. And everyone's waiting for him to come out. But he's there a long time because an angel appears to him and starts to talk to him. Now, that's a little different. And uh, the angel Gabriel begins to say to Zechariah, your prayers have come up before God and they've been heard. And Zechariah's standing there and it's almost like he's saying, what prayers? And uh, the angel says, well, your wife's going to have a son. And Zechariah is so shocked about this, he's in complete unbelief. And the angel Gabriel says... Because of your response, because of your unbelief, 
you will not be able to speak until all these things are fulfilled. So right in the beginning of Luke's gospel, and throughout Luke's gospel, men don't do too well. And God has to shut him up. And so then we go over, can you imagine, by the way, coming out and trying to tell that story (laughs) with sign language? I don't know. Just imagine telling your wife. Okay, I don't know. But anyway, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Now, here's the amazing thing. The story now shifts to two women, Elizabeth and Mary. So now the angel has appeared to Zechariah. The angel now appears to Mary. Mary's response is different. So now a teenager, unlike this man of God, this servant of God, this righteous man who's a good man, but in that moment in time, he's not a man of faith. At that moment in time. The same angel appears to a teenager whose response is, Be it unto me according to your word. How can these things be? I don't know a man. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And and this child is going to be born. He's going to be born of the Holy Spirit. Be it unto me according to your word. It's a faith response from Mary. And then immediately she becomes pregnant. The Bible says that she went to the hill country to Elizabeth. Now we've got a very interesting scenario because now four people are about to meet each other. Elizabeth and Mary, John the Baptist, who's six months old in the womb, and Jesus, who's about a fetus in size. And the four of them are going to meet for the very first time. And so Mary comes in and greets Elizabeth. And as soon as she greets Elizabeth, John the Baptist is discerning the presence of Jesus. And he leaps in the womb. And the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the trajectory of Luke is everyone's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone's got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and everyone needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So right at that moment, Jesus, who's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, as soon as Mary speaks, Elizabeth hears the greeting, John in the Baptist goes, It's Jesus! And Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. And then what happens? As soon as she's filled with the Spirit, she's doing what they do in Acts chapter 2 because the first thing that comes out of her mouth is a prophecy. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And uh, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she begins to prophesy over Mary. And then Mary responds and she's, she begins to prophesy And she can say, my soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He who is mighty has done great things. Holy is his name. So you've got these two women. One is prophesying, being filled with the Spirit. The other one is prophesying, being filled with the Spirit. It's a precursor of what God wants in the book of Acts. By the way, Luke wrote the book of Acts. If you want to understand Acts, you've got to read Luke. You'll never understand Acts fully till you read the Gospel of Luke. So right there in chapter 1, it's all about women. Women of faith, women who are filled with the Spirit, 
women who are prophesying. In, John, in Luke's gospel, the first people who prophesy and are filled with the Spirit are women. Just let that sink in. Then we move over into chapter 2. And now we do find a man who's very, very old, called Simeon, who is, the Bible says, filled with the Spirit. And he moves and he's led by the Spirit into the temple because they're going to take Jesus there. He's eight days old now. He's been born. He's going to be circumcised. And he's filled with the Spirit and he's moved by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God has given him a word. You will not die until you see the Lord's Messiah. So this is a man living for years in expectation, living and waiting. And here he is, and we're told about Simeon. He's a man of the Spirit, he's a man who's led by the Spirit, and he's a man who speaks by the Spirit. And he goes in, and he sees Mary and the child there, and then he begins to prophesy. And uh, he, 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 he picks up Jesus, who's eight days of age, and he says, Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace of you as, as you have told him. For mine eyes have seen your salvation. Amongst all your people, uh, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And he's prophesying over Jesus. Then he turns to Mary, prophesies over Mary, and a sword shall pierce your heart also. For this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and a sign to be spoken against. He's prophesying over her. So here's Simeon. But then, sh then Luke shifts and he talks about Anna. And Anna comes in, and Anna is a woman who's 84 years of age, and she's been praying in the temple with fastings day and night. And Luke does not call Simeon a prophet. He calls him a man of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, who speaks by the Spirit. But as soon as Anna walks in, Luke says, she is a prophetess. And she begins to prophesy and tell people of everything that God is doing in Israel. And she's declaring this 84-year-old woman is declaring the things of God because she's a prophetess. And she's too filled with the Spirit. His emphasis is right there. Then we get to Luke chapter 4. And Jesus is in the temple. And he starts to read and say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to open prison doors. And he's declaring this wonderful passage from Isaiah. And as he's reading this passage, he sits down and he said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone is marveling. And he said, no doubt you'll say to me, do the things that you did in Capernaum, but a prophet is not without honor except in his own land, in his own country. He says, there were many widows in the days of Elijah the prophet, but he was not sent to any, but to a woman of Zarephath. Now I want you to think about, this is the first of five widows that Luke mentions in his gospel. A woman of Zarephath, she's a Gentile woman. And if you read the story in, in 1 Kings 17, it's a story about a woman where God commands Elijah after the brook Cherith dries up and after he's got no food there. He says, I want you to go to this widow. And God speaks to Elijah and says, for I've commanded her to take care of you. And so he goes off to Zarephath and he finds this woman picking up sticks. And he says to her, can you get me a drink of water? And she says, certainly. And he says, oh, by the way, can you, can you make me something to eat? And she says, listen, man of God. I am picking up sticks in order to make my last meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die. Now, does that sound like a woman who God has commanded to take care of the prophet? And Elijah turns to her, and he says, 
what do you have? And she says, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. He says, thus says the Lord, the flour will not run out, the oil will not run dry. Now go and do what I've asked you to do. Now here's the point. This Gentile woman responds immediately in faith and goes and does what he does, and the provision is there forever. That's the point Jesus is making. Here's a Gentile responding to the prophetic word. And by the way, prophetic words awaken destiny in us. That's what Elijah did. He prophesied over her. She responded in faith. And her destiny, which was to take care of the prophet, was awakened in her. God had commanded it, but the prophetic word released it. Do you get it? That's why we need prophecy today. It's releasing the destinies in people. Then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, there were many lepers in the time of Elisha. But Elisha was not sent to any in Israel, but to Naaman, a Syrian, another Gentile. Do you realize how offensive this preaching is in the synagogue? Because Luke has four basic themes. The spirit, uh, the inclusion of Gentiles in the, in the gospel, and, uh, and women. And I'll remember the fourth in a minute. But anyway, how does Naaman get to hear about Elisha the prophet? Well, if you read the story, it's a teenage girl who's been taken captive. Another woman. This teenage girl speaks to her mistress and says, Oh, if only my master would go to Israel and to the prophet there. There's one who can heal him. And she tells her husband and he tells the king. And the king writes a letter to another king. And the other king is a little shocked when he gets the letter and he says, Oh, what am I going to do? This guy's after a war. He's picking a fight on me. And Elisha finally sends a messenger to the king and says, Send him to me. And we get one of the most miraculous healings in the Old Testament. Why? Because there's a teenage girl sharing a testimony of the power of God in the prophet Elijah. See, Luke, he he loves women. He sees women as being significant. And then then we go on in Luke's gospel, and and we get that then in chapter 7, I think it is, we get the story of the widow of Nain. This is the second widow. Uh, Sorry, it's the third. You've got Anna the prophetess. You've got the woman uh, who's looking after Elijah. Now we've got the third one, the woman at Nain. And there she is with her son who's dead. And now if you're a widow, the only provision you have is the goodness and kindness of people. If you have a son, basically you've got someone who'll take care of you financially and look after you. And her son is dead. And Jesus is moved with compassion. What does he do? He raises this young man from the dead. And she receives him. And so, so all these widows, you know, widows in the Bible are the most powerless people in society. That's why in Deuteronomy it says you've got to take care of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger in the land. They were the most destitute and they were most powerless to do anything in society. So what Lou says, I'm going to tell you about a whole group of widows and how God used them significantly. Because it's not by might, it's not by strength, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Do you get this? You enjoying this? We get to Luke chapter 8, and we read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and that's very significant, because it's talking about the crowd of people and the disciples that are following Jesus. And while they're following, Luke has this to say in verse 3. There were three women in particular I want to talk to you about. One was called Mary Magdalene, one was called Joanna, and the other was called Susanna. And by the way, these three women financially supported Jesus, along with many others, many other women. 
So the, the people who bankrolled Jesus' ministry were three women. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through. You read it there. They ministered to him of their substance, the old King James says. But they're financially providing for Jesus' ministry. You know, whenever my wife and I have done any giving in church, I guarantee you, if we pick a figure, hers is higher. <laughs> That's not always the case, but 90% of the time, I think we should do this. And the men are going, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Let me do the... Let me do a calculation. The women are just responding. These women were the first one to respond to Jesus' ministry. You get to Luke chapter 9, and actually Luke 9 is all about the men, but they don't, they don't do well. In Luke chapter 9, all the disciples, it's a massive screw-up from beginning to end in Luke 9. You know, Jesus comes down from the mountain, and he says, How long must I be with you? How long must I be with you? You know, they couldn't cast a demon out of a boy. They, so he says, bring him to me. And then what happens? Well, there's guys here preaching about Jesus. So what did John and James do? They forbid him. You can't do it. You're not with us. You can't preach in the name of Jesus. And then they go back and they tell Jesus. They're so proud. We've been protecting our ministry, our territory. Jesus said, don't forbid him. What are you doing? Don't forbid him. Sorry. Then they want to call down fire on a village that won't receive Jesus. Can you imagine that? Calling down fire just like Elisha did. I love that they've got an Old Testament scripture to justify genocide. <laughs> Jesus is like, okay, come here. Let's, let's go through this one more time. The Gospel 101. Repeat after me. The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. <laughs> Let me hear you say that. No, we're not going to call down fire. We're not going to kill them. That's not why we're here. <laughs> this is Luke chapter 9, and then you get to, you get to the end of Luke 9. And you, oh, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Well, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We don't know where we're staying tonight. Still want to come? Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, but let me first bury my father. Let the dead bury the dead. Go preach the gospel. You, you get to the end of Luke 9 and the guys are not doing too well. <laughs> then you get to Luke chapter 10. gets a little better. But at the end of Luke chapter 10, you've got a beautiful story of Mary and Martha. And I love the story because it says there's a certain village and Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. That's very unusual for a start because she has a brother called Lazarus and the inheritance always goes to the son. It always goes to the guy, but it's her home. So either she's a wealthy widow or she's a wealthy businesswoman, but she's got her own home. And she's taking care of her little brother. And she welcomes Jesus into her home. And it all gets a little bit tense because Mary is sitting at his feet and listening to his word. By the way, Luke is using a technical term there. When it says Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word, if you fast forward to Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, you've got Paul the Apostle who says, by the way, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel and I was educated by him. To sit at the feet of a rabbi is a formal relationship, meaning that you are welcomed into the discipling community to follow that rabbi, to listen to that rabbi, and to be trained by that rabbi. 
And Mary was included with the disciples to be trained by Jesus. She sat at his feet and heard his word in the same way that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. It's the same author. It's the same writer. He's not changing what he's thinking. And then you have Martha. Who gets a little bit uptight and a little bit lost with all of the distracting and looking after things? And Jesus speaks to her so compassionately. Martha, Martha. And we look at that and we miss the significance of it. Because there's only seven times in the Bible where God uses a person's name twice. Only seven times in the Bible. First is found in Genesis 22, 11, when Abraham is about to offer up Isaac. And as he raises the knife and he's about to kill his own son, a voice comes out of heaven. Abraham, Abraham, don't kill your son. Right there in Genesis 22, a perfect picture of how God will one day sacrifice his son on our behalf. And Abraham doesn't need to do it because there's a ram in the thicket. God himself will provide the sacrifice. There's a substitute so that Isaac doesn't have to die. You don't have to kill your laughter or your joy. God's got a provision for you. Abraham, Abraham. In Genesis 46 and verse 3, Jacob is about to go down into Egypt and he's anxious because the promise is about being in Israel. Why would I want to go down to Egypt? And God appears to him and says, Jacob, Jacob, don't be afraid. Go down into Egypt. I've got a plan and a purpose for you. It's very beautiful. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush and says, Moses, Moses, take your shoe off your foot place where you stand is holy ground. We fast forward to 1 Samuel 3 and verse 10, I think it is. And Samuel is there and he hears a voice and he keeps running to Eli, running to Eli, running to Eli. And then Eli tells him, no, next time you hear the voice, just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And that fourth time he hears a voice, he hears Samuel, Samuel. It's amazing. We get to the New Testament. Jesus in Luke 22 comes along Simon Peter and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. And when you're converted, when you're turned around, strengthen your brothers. We get to Acts chapter 9, and there is Jesus on the Damascus road, and he meets Saul of Tarsus and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now watch this. Abraham, the patriarch and father of our faith. Jacob, the father of the 12 sons of all the patriarchs. Moses, who writes the law. Samuel, who's the greatest prophet who ever lived, where not one word fell to the ground. Paul, who's the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, who is the apostle to the Jews. And who else? Martha. Martha is placed alongside all of those men by Jesus at a time when she's totally stressed out, freaked out, just by saying her name twice, he says, here's how I see you, right alongside the greatest men of history. And her gender does not stop her from being used by God. She's a woman of God. She's a woman of faith. It's exciting, isn't it? 
You get to Luke chapter 15, and there's a story that's repeated many times in the gospel, the story of the good shepherd who goes after the sheep. But there are two other stories that are unique. One is about the father. So you've got Jesus, who's the good shepherd, and you've got the father who welcomes us into the home. And then you have one more story with a woman and a lost coin. Because women are just as involved in evangelism as men in Jesus' ministry. Then you get to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, we're told about another widow. And this is a widow who doesn't feel like a judge has given her justice. So she persistently bothers him and asks him. And Jesus says in Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray and not give up, not lose heart, not faint. The illustration for persistent prayer is a powerless widow who will not stop who will not give up, who will persist until she gets what she wants. Then you fast forward to Luke chapter 21, and we have another widow. And this time, Jesus is watching everybody put money in the offering. Can you imagine that? Imagine if Jesus was alongside you as you gave. (laughs) And you put the money in, and Jesus goes like that. And then he looks at you. And Jesus is standing there while they're putting money in the treasury and he's watching. And then a woman comes along and she's a widow and she's weak and she's got nothing but two copper coins. The smallest amount of money that you can possibly have within the Roman Empire. And she puts them into the offering and Jesus says, time out. Stop everybody. And I, I don't know what went on in that woman's mind. She must have felt really embarrassed. It's like, oh, I put in so little. What's Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? He said, I just want to say something. All of these people over here, they gave out of their abundance. But this woman, and he points her out, she put in all of her living. She gave out of her lack. Jesus promotes, highlights a widow who made the most sacrificial offering in the entire record of the Bible. And he says, I love her heart. And by the way, Jesus didn't say, oh, hang on a minute. Don't give to this temple. It's going to be destroyed in 70 years. No, 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 no. Don't invest there. I hear people say stuff to me all the time. It's so idiotic. You know, I'm not going to give to the church any longer. I don't believe in it. Well, what are you going to give to? What are you going to give to? It's, it's usually an excuse for their own selfishness so they can invest in they, what, what they want to invest in. Listen, your giving is never to a church. It's to God. Your giving is to God. Churches are there to steward it. Churches are there to steward what you give to God. Never stop giving to God. Never stop doing that. It's just an excuse. So there we are in Luke 21. There's this widow. And then we get to Luke 24. Luke 24 is amazing because the people who follow Jesus right there to his burial, it's women. The, the people who prepare the spices are women. The people who go there on resurrection morning, the first people to the graveside are women, and they're named. It's Mary Magdalene again. It's Susanna, and it's another Mary. And there they are, and they run, and they tell the disciples what they've seen. And the Bible said in the ESV version, it says when they told the disciples, they thought it was an idle tale. They were in complete unbelief. And so Jesus will appear to two men on the Emmaus Road, Cleopas, he's one of them. He's actually named, which means he's one of the 70, because he's not one of the 12. And here they are walking along the Emmaus Road, and Jesus draws near. 
And their eyes are holden. I preached this at the, at the conference. Their eyes were holden, which means something had power over their vision. That means what it means when their eyes were restrained. And Jesus draws alongside. And at the end of the, the conversation where he's asking, well, what's been going on? Oh, there was Jesus of Nazareth, a man mighty in word and deed. And we had hoped he'd be, he'd be the deliverance for Israel. Here's Jesus' response to the men. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the scripture says. And in that verse, he ties it right back to chapter 1, to Zechariah, who was slow of heart to believe, and a fool. And he couldn't quite see what God was up to. And in the big arc of Luke's gospel, it is the men that are slow of heart to believe. It is the men that are a little bit stupid. And it's the men that need their hearts to be awakened through the word of God so that they can become all that they need to be. But in Luke's gospel, the women are right there. The women are responding. The women are saying yes. The women are being filled with the spirit. The women are prophesying. The women are financially supporting. The women are praying. The women are believing for resurrection. The women are there and Luke says this is where we're going in the book of Acts I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy it is ministry together